You're listening to Talking Buildings, the podcast related to all things about the built environment. Here's your host, Paul Angus. Many of our listeners will be hearing from you for the very first time, Kate. Let's set the scene. You're at a networking event. You're working in the room. I mean, each individual listener that's tuning into your voice right now. So let's hear your elevator pitch. My elevator pitch. Okay. So my name is Kate Mills and I'm the chief executive of the Property Industry Foundation. Uh, The Property Industry Foundation is better known as PIF and it's what I call a collaborative industry-wide initiative to have an impact on youth homelessness. So essentially we bring the property and construction industry together to both fundraise and actually build homes for homeless youth. So last year, we built about 32 bedrooms. We count in bedrooms because the houses come in different shapes and sizes. Um, And this year, we were looking at building another 40 bedrooms before the recent COVID event. Mm -hmm. And what I love about what we do, apart from the fact it feels like the right thing for the property and construction industry to do is to build, it's also about the long-term tangible effect. I mean, when you build a bedroom um, that will be used by many young people over the years, you really have an impact on so many people's lives. Um, And it's also so core and so basic in that it gives them that place of safety and shelter, a place from which they can rebuild their lives. So that's my elevator pitch. A little bit long, I thought. Awesome. That's grand. So as CEO of the Property Industry Foundation and the fantastic work that the team does, um, I have to say, when I was researching for this episode, Kate, I was really presently surprised to find out who you really are. Um, So I'd like to know a little bit more about who you are, how you progressed and where you got to now. Absolutely. Uh, So I don't come from the property industry and I don't come from what I'd call the homelessness industry either. My background is actually in communications. Um, So I started out, I trained as a lawyer. Um, I know, I I noticed your Aberdeen accent. So I did a year, I did my master's of law in Aberdeen. Um, So I did a law degree in, in, I was in Kent, I was in France and then I finished off in Aberdeen. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I didn't want to be a lawyer. Uh, So I came down to London to get a job and the first job I got was as a telesales person on a legal magazine. Okay. Um, I always say to everyone, if you're going to do a job young, do telesales because uh, you need balls of steel to do telesales. So it's uh-huh. really useful to be able to get on the phone to people you don't know and get them to buy something. So I did yeah. telesales for about six months and loved it. And then I moved into journalism um, and I moved into business journalism. I was working in London. And then I moved about 15 years ago to Australia. And in Australia, I worked at Fairfax and I had an amazing job at Fairfax. I was the editor of BRW magazine, Business Review Weekly, which was a weekly business magazine. Um, I absolutely loved it because it was the right connection of... um, qualitative and quantitative information. You got access to a lot of information as a, mm-hmm. as a sort of senior editor. Um, and you could also pick up the phone to anyone in Australia and have a yeah. conversation with them. So it was a really amazing job. But it was print journalism and print journalism was tough. It still is tough. And yeah. it, it was very tough then. And I'd been a journalist then for about 20 years and I was looking at whether I wanted to do it for the next 20 years and I wasn't sure that I did. I I loved working as a journalist and I loved working as an editor, but I used to say you would run really hard all year and Mm -hmm. you would never shift the dial commercially, you know, in terms of commercial outcomes or in terms of readership outcomes. So um, Fairfax was doing redundancies, which it did every year, Mm -hmm. um, and I had an opportunity I got a little bit of backing from a high net worth investor for an idea I had around a platform called Mm professionalmums.net. And professionalmums.net was around how to reconnect women who had had children and sort of lost connection with the workplace, essentially, Mm -hmm. and wanted to come back and wanted to work flexibility. And employers who knew that there was a bank of talent out there in terms of those women that had left the workforce, you know, for a few years to focus on family, Mm -hmm. but didn't know how to reconnect with them and how to bring them in. So essentially, I built that up as a platform. So I got women to come and join the platform, a CV database, essentially, you know, they got on and they filled in a form about themselves and what they wanted to do and they attached 
slash their CV. Yeah. Um, and then I sold access to that to large organisations to connect them with those, those women. Right. So I did that for about three years and then I sold that and I was working and consulting. And and look, I, I mean, I, I probably came up with that product because I was kind of going into that demographic. So I've been working 20 years full time. I had two young children. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little bit crazy when you've got two young children work full time. I and mean, people do it. I did it. It can be done. But it is quite a challenging period. Yeah. Um, so setting up professionalmums.net allowed me to work from home and have some flexibility and really be quite present for my two children who were five and three at the time I did that. Yeah. Um, but then fast forward five years, so my children are 10 and 8 and they're a bit older and they can get to school by themselves and all of those kind of things happen. And I thought mm-hmm. I really wanted to get back into full-time work. Um, yeah. I was working as a consultant, which is great. Being a consultant is great because um, you get paid lots and um, it's also really flexible. But mm-hmm. you never finish the project. You know, you sort of come in, you give the advice yeah. and then you never finish the project. Um, and I really missed working with the team. I used yeah. to say you're never in the trenches, you know, working, you know, looking over the top with your team at a target and mm-hmm. figuring out how you can all get there. So I wanted to come back into work. I wanted to do something that I thought was meaningful and, and, mm-hmm. and certainly meaningful for me. Um, and so I started looking and I came across the Property Industry Foundation. Mm-hmm. And what I loved about it, as I was talking earlier, was the PIF House program. Like I loved the fact that they were actually building houses and doing something really tangible. Mm-hmm. So I joined here about 18 months ago and it's been a roller coaster ever since. I bet, yeah. Hey, you didn't mention you're a regular on the drum. And also you get appearances on ABC weekend breakfast shows and also be a keynote speaker on the Bastard. list goes on and on and on. So you must be really passionate about what you do and you must also really like talking, Kate. Surely you've been able to tell that <laughs> from this brief conversation that we're having, Angus, that I love talking. Um, look, I do like communicating. I think, you know, we're at an interesting, you're always in an interesting period, you know, whatever period you live in. So it's, it's really interesting to be able to have the space to comment on it and what you see happening in the world and how you think it impacts on people. Yeah. Um, I also think, um, you know, I, I do those TV experiences and, and I do some talking and part of that I think comes down to the fact that I sit in what I call the radical center, mm-hmm. um, which is not a phrase I came up with, unfortunately, although I do really like it. The economists came up with it. And the radical center are people who just don't believe in the old paradigms of left and right anymore and don't think that you should take that paradigm in order to explain everything. Mm-hmm. You can sit in the radical center and, and be radical by sitting in the center and saying, well, maybe there is no overarching story that explains human experience. Maybe we just need to come up with the right solution at the right time and see how that see how that plays out and see how that impacts rather than being locked into we must find a solution from the right to this, or we mm-hmm. must find a solution from the left to this. Yeah. And I think you see that happening right now. If you see the solutions that particularly right-wing governments thinking of um, Australia, but also the UK, if you look mm-hmm. at the solutions that they've come up with for the uh, economic dislocation that's happening, you know, they've, they've torn up the rule book. Mm-hmm. They're all now in the radical centre too. <laughs> so working for PIF must be amazing. I mean, as CEO leading such a passionate and enthusiastic team that's clearly making a difference to young people's lives must bring to you personally so much happiness. I'm sure you must have a lot of good news stories, but before we hear about those, can you tell me a little bit about the not so good news stories and elaborate on the seriousness and issues related to youth homelessness? Look, I think anyone who has children or knows children probably finds it hard to conceive of the fact that people as young as 12 and under can mm-hmm. be on the streets, you know, can can live in an unsafe environment. Yeah. But it's a really sad fact about society. Not everyone comes from a, a happy, stable family. You know, a lot of people come from families where there is abuse and alcohol and violence. And, you mm-hmm. know, it's often it's often intergenerational. So yeah. um, parents who come from that background themselves and don't get the chance to see or, you know, 
have different ways of bringing up their family. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there are an increasing number of vulnerable young people out there and it's about trying to find a place for them and, and, and you know, identifying them within um, society. So often schools, doctors essentially are the people who will identify them mm-hmm. uh, or, or sometimes potentially they'll self-identify and then finding some solutions that will work for them. And what's really complex about youth homelessness is each one of those people is an individual. So there is actually no one individual answer, mm-hmm. you know. So a, a lot of people will kind of say, oh, well, you know, you just find a foster parent home for them. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're a young person who's come from a, a very disadvantaged and potentially, you know, abusive background, you don't always have the correct behaviours, essentially. And so it's very difficult sometimes to place you with a foster family. So yeah. you, you, you're not used to potentially being in a caring environment. You're not sure how mm-hmm. to deal with it. So you end up leaving that foster family, essentially. So you need you need lots of different solutions. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the stories we hear, you know, I mean, they break your heart if you weren't a mother, but they break my heart, you know, and I, and I am a mother. Yeah. Um, you know, we hear stories of, um, you know, there was this 14-year-old girl who arrives at one of the houses that we built and she doesn't know how to brush her teeth. Really? And she doesn't know how to brush her teeth because if you've had children, you realise it takes about two years to teach your children to brush your teeth. You've got to mm-hmm. sit there every night and, you know, as I say, you've got to brush their teeth for them for two years and then you've got to shout at them for four years to get them to do it in uh-huh. the morning and the evening. But, yeah, so you need you actually need someone because you don't have the dexterity. So, yeah. you know, it's just, the, it's just the thought of young people, you know, not being in places where they're cared for, you know, where there's mm-hmm. someone there who says, yeah, you know, I'm going to show you how to brush your teeth. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's just a small example. So, so a lot of young people who come from those kind of houses, they, they essentially just don't have what you'd call normal life skills. And that's yeah. why I use that as an example, because brushing your teeth is something you think everyone can do. Yeah, take it for granted, yeah. But in actual fact, if no one's taught you how to brush your teeth, mm-hmm. you actually don't know how to brush your teeth, you know, exactly. so you don't have any of those life skills. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and one of the things I think is really important in the whole uh, homelessness, youth homelessness, just overall homelessness area, is actually it's, it is actually about early intervention. Mm-hmm. So most of what we do at PIF is around house building. So 80% of our efforts go towards house building, but yeah. we do disperse 20% of our our funds on other initiatives okay. and one of the initiatives i'm really keen on is early intervention mm-hmm. because what all research what all agencies show is that if you can catch a young person early enough mm-hmm. and you can help them and help the family yeah. you'll probably have a better outcome mm-hmm. so if to be honest if you can keep young people with their families and make their families more functional mm-hmm. you will most likely get a better outcome for that young person than actually removing them from that family and yeah. putting them into the care system. Mm-hmm. And that's that's sometimes quite hard for people to get their head around because if you come from a high-functioning family and you look at a low-functioning family, you go, oh, it's such a low-functioning family, that kid would be better off somewhere else. Yeah. But actually, that's not what the research shows. What the research shows is that if you can do early intervention, you can work with the family, you can work with the young person, make it a safer place, mm-hmm. you'll get a better outcome for everyone. So we we also support initiatives like that. Awesome. So where can the young and vulnerable homeless turn to, Kate? Um, So as I mentioned there, essentially what happens mostly is that they are identified through school or through GP as a young vulnerable person. And then, I mean, this is in the ideal situation. And then there's agencies that will come and help them, either government agencies or the large charities, which essentially are government funded to run government programs, will come to them. So there's Mm -hmm. that. Um, And if then they are, you know, under 16 and they are removed from that, their, their carer background, um, mm-hmm. they then come under, they're, they're then a ward of the minister essentially and the minister will make sure that they've got some form of um, support services and some form of uh, lodgings, be it a foster parent or... Um, there is a, a very tough situation here in Australia where 
you do always have a certain number of children, like 100 children, 200 children, actually living in hotels or motels because mm-hmm. there simply isn't enough suitable accommodation for them. Yeah. Um, so there's so there's that. They'll get that homeless shelters. Um, you do also find um, the, the, the hidden part of youth homelessness because a lot of children are either not young people, sorry, are not identified or, mm-hmm. and don't self-identify. So we had a very interesting story with this young woman who was um, homeless. Mm-hmm. She'd grown up homeless. Yeah. She didn't know she was homeless. So, you know, she lived with her mother and they couch surfed and they slept in cars. But because oh, yeah. they'd always done that, yeah. it wasn't until she went to school and at school she was identified and they sent her to, I think it was Bernardo's. And yeah. she talked with Bernardo's and she said after, she said, they said, oh, yeah, you're homeless. And she said, uh, am I? You know, I mean, she uh, lived with her mother wow. in unsafe environments, couch yeah, surfing yeah. kind of thing. But, uh-huh. you know, so you don't self-identify because... That's just your life, yep, you know, yep. like why well, you, you don't know you're homeless. You just think, well, this is just the way I live. Uh-huh. Um, but that talks to, that classic example talks to the prevalence of couch surfing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, people tend to think of homelessness as people on the street. Mm-hmm. People on the street is the tip of the iceberg, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, most homelessness is what we call hidden homelessness. So right. it's people who are... You know, I often think about it in terms of young people who are living in, you know, volatile homes. Mm-hmm. And what happens is they stay out a lot because mm-hmm. you don't want to go home until... So-and-so's gone to bed, essentially, because you want to avoid the argument. Yeah, yeah. So you don't go home after school and you go out and you hang out at your friend's house and then you sleep at your friend's house because Mm -hmm. it's 10 o'clock and the parent, the carer there says, oh, yeah, you can just sleep there. Yeah, it's just natural. Natural. But you are actually couch surfing at that point. And Mm -hmm. then you don't go back home for a few days and you go back home and there's an incident and you come back out. And that that is actually what the vast majority of homelessness looks like. Yeah. There's another form of homelessness that is is also not discussed, which is what's called severe overcrowding. When you look at the ABS statistics, so there's mm-hmm. 44,000 young people um, under 25 considered homeless every night in Australia. Wow. When you break down those statistics, the largest proportion of people, what we call, um, they live in severely crowded apartments. And what mm-hmm. that's about is the fact that housing is so expensive in mm-hmm. many parts of, of Australia. Yeah. Um, and so you go into a flat that you think should only hold four people, but there's 15 people living in that flat. So try mm-hmm. to imagine a flat that should only hold four, holding 15. Try to imagine the tensions. Mm-hmm. Um, there's often a high level of poverty and drug yeah, and alcohol yeah. abuse, et cetera. And so, again, you get that cycle where mm-hmm. you're not in the home a lot because mm-hmm. in the home there's too much conflict. So you're yeah. out and you're sleeping maybe in someone's car and couch surfing and then coming back to that house. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So what else has been done to help? It's fair to say that government does a lot and has a lot of funding. And what's really interesting here in New South Wales is the End Street Sleeping campaign, which Gladys Brojeklian's really got behind, which mm-hmm. is about saying we can end street sleeping in our lifetime. Yeah. Um, and that's really been driven by the fact that in the UK, they've had some amazing results around ending street sleeping okay. um, by essentially uh, forcing organisations to work together. So that's one of the things to understand about the homelessness industry, which I'm part of. And like PIF is a classic example. Mm-hmm. You know, it's PIF is funded by private individuals. You know, it's not linked to government, essentially. There's a lack of overarching government policy that would allow all those different organisations mm-hmm. to in some way collaborate and work together. Mm-hmm. So that's in terms of what's been done to help We've got much better at collaboration and innovation. Mm-hmm. Government's got much better at um, taking it on as its problem and saying, I'm going to give you a framework in which you can work. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm sure there's lots of non-for-profit organisations out there, Kate, 
But I'm keen for you to elaborate a little more on the role of the Property Industry Foundation, how it plays. Absolutely. So Property Industry Foundation, or PIF, um, has been around, I think, for over 20 years. And its core goal, it actually, so it actually started um, mm-hmm. with a group of people who worked in property saying, we should do something about youth homelessness. You know, yeah. like, it's a property industry, um, it's a wealthy industry, plus, mm-hmm. you know, we're a property industry, so part of youth homelessness obviously is around accommodation, so we should get involved. Yeah. Um, so it started out like that, and over the 20 years it sort of morphed into having a much stronger focus around increasing the supply of transition accommodation. So that's at the heart of what we do, uh-huh. is we think, okay, every year can we create more bedrooms um, to provide homes for young people. Yeah. Um, and we do that by partnering with charities. So we don't we, we build what we call PIF houses. Mm-hmm. We don't run those houses. So our right. charity partners run those houses. So our charity partners are Salvation Army, Brisbane Youth Services, Melbourne City Mission, uh-huh. um, and Stepping Stone House and Lighthouse Foundation. So they actually run the houses that we build. Okay. They come to us and mm-hmm. they say, will you build a house for us? And we always say, if we can, we will. Yeah. Um, so it's, so it's about increasing that supply of accommodation. Um, sometimes we will fund what we call the wraparound services in PIF houses. Mm-hmm. So when we create a PIF house, it's really important, particularly for young, vulnerable people. I mean, for anyone who comes from a place of disadvantage, but in this case, young, vulnerable people, mm-hmm. to think about you can't just take someone from a difficult situation and pop them into a house by themselves and go, mm-hmm. yeah, there you go, fantastic, you've got a home. Yeah, People are, who come from those you know, often traumatic backgrounds need um, services around them to help them. They need a psychologist, they need a carer. Yeah. So every house we build, we'll never build a house unless the charity is going to provide a live-in carer or, or 24-7 support in some way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes we will fund that as well. Um, oh, right. for a, we might do it for a limited period of time. We might say we built a PIF house and we'd love to fund the carer in it for two years, for example, uh-huh. so that they get that. We also um, do, uh, on an ad hoc basis but we'd like to do it in a little bit more sort of connect people with the property industry for jobs mm-hmm. so we have run programs in the past where we've connected people from PIF houses into jobs um mm-hmm. last year we got a, a young lad into wanted apprenticeship so we called up one of our donors and said look would you consider him for an apprenticeship kind of thing yeah so anything that we can do to help people you know get into that period of stability by being in a PIF house but they'll also connect them through mm-hmm. to um future opportunities is really important okay so we recognise that home is more than just a physical shelter. Um, in what ways does PIF accommodation provide an opportunity for young people to create their own identity and turn that creation into their own home? So we're very keen at PIF. We talk about building homes, not houses. Mm-hmm. You know, um, there is a view on uh, the kind of accommodation that you'll see in the homelessness sector as being very institutional. Uh-huh. You know, people sort of have that idea in their mind that it's going to be a bit institutional. Yeah. Um, so like a matron, you know, um, lots and lots of discipline, you know, and I'm not saying that the homes are undisciplined, but that view that they have, that's not what we build. I mean, uh-huh. we build things that really are homes. Yeah. Some of that comes down to picking the right charity partner. So we've got a, a beautiful little charity we work with called St. Lawrence House. Uh, the guy that runs it is, you know, he's, I mean, he's like their, he's like their big brother. I mean, we, with discipline and with guidance, but you know what I mean? He's really mm-hmm. welcoming. It, it's a classic story. He told me, you know, we, we um, added on, we did, gave them an extra two bedrooms. Yeah. They had a four bedroomed house. Uh, the carer had nowhere to sleep. So they had a 24 seven carer and the carer would sleep on the couch. Mm-hmm. So we went in and we refurbished the house and we put another two bedrooms on it, which allowed them to take in another young person and also yep. meant the carer had somewhere to sleep. Mm-hmm. I remember he said, um, he was talking about some of his successes uh, while we were there. There was a, a young girl there who was leaving soon. She was going to university. Mm-hmm. And um, I said to him, oh, how, you know, tell me 
about how she became such a success. And he said when she first arrived, she would stay out really late. And she stayed out really late the first night and she came back really late. And mm-hmm. then she stayed out really late the second night and she came back really late. And right. she stayed out really late the third night. He called her and he said, not acceptable. Mm-hmm. It's not acceptable. You've got to come home. You need to be in by 10 o'clock. You know, it's just not acceptable. Mm-hmm. And when he, when she left, he said to her, what was the turning point? She said, it was that call. Mm-hmm. She said, because no one had ever cared to call before. Mm-hmm. You oh, know. Really? Yeah, well, she'd been in a home where no one cared, you know, mm-hmm. so she was she was used to being out late, you know, uh, on the, you know, hanging around on the streets with her mates, going in and out of people's houses. So mm-hmm. just that it's that sense of home that you're living with someone who does call you and says, yeah. it's time to get home, you know, it's 10 o'clock, you know, it's yeah, not yeah. acceptable that you're out there. Yeah. So it's really looking for those um, really good charity partners that we know are uh, working with us and collaborating with us to turn what we build into a real home for those young people. Okay. Shelter is a basic right. Sadly, in the times we live in, a house is no longer a place to live, but a source of profit. Hoof accommodation differs in that and it provides housing that is connected to its social function. So how important is it to provide accommodation for homeless youth that is embedded within their local community? Look, it's really important. Mm. And I think, again, it comes back to um, our perceptions around charity and homelessness. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, I do meet people, not many, um, who say, well, you could just build a house anywhere for people and put them in it. It's that much more, as I was talking, that, that quite institutional view of mm-hmm. what we should provide for young, vulnerable people. Yeah. Um, and and it's, so it's quite difficult. But what's difficult is if you've got a young person who's living in the community in, in, in a particular location. Yeah. It's and essentially it's very dislocating for them if you then build something, you know, a hundred kilometers away and mm. you sort of pick them up and you plop them over in that house and you uh-huh. go, oh, well, you've got a house now. So, yeah. you know, you should be fine. Yeah. Um, typically what you find happens is they go back to their community. Well, mm. why wouldn't they? I yeah, mean, of course, yeah. why wouldn't you? Mm. You know, it's it's like what people talk about when they go into the city and they see homeless people sleeping out in the street and they say, oh, why are they all here? Why do they all congregate together? Mm-hmm. You know, and I go, well, why wouldn't you? Like, why would you be, you know, it's a horrible thing to be homeless anyway. Uh-huh. You don't want to be lonely as well. You know, you want to be with people you know. Yeah. So look, what it really talks to is the complexity of homelessness. And we're, we're really attuned to that. I mean, we build homes for youth, homeless youth. But we're always aware that's just one part of the story. And then mm-hmm. we do that because we think, you know, that's the bit that the property and construction industry should hold. You know, mm-hmm. we should hold, as I say, we should take the responsibility for the built environment around, you know, youth homelessness and homelessness. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's only one part of it, mm-hmm. you know. And, and in, in the end, what, what, what it's really about is for PIF is in some ways finding its place in the in the ecosystem around homelessness. So, mm-hmm. you know, you're sitting in the right place doing the right thing and you're connected out to other organisations yeah. across that ecosystem mm-hmm. so that as an ecosystem you get a really good outcome for people. Yeah, yeah, sure. Is it difficult to achieve though? Is it difficult to sort of place people within their communities or I mean, how does it work? It is. Yeah. It often is because um, you've got to have the right accommodation there. There's lots of communities that don't like homes for young vulnerable people in their community because they think it's disruptive Mm -hmm. so you've got to take the community along with you when you come in to do the building project you've got to make sure you talk to everybody in the street and all the neighbors and we because we pursue a model where there will be 24 7 care that Mm -hmm. does make it a lot easier because Mm -hmm. we're able to go and say look there'll be someone here 24 7 you know it's not going to be a house full of young people just you know out there roaming around, running around in the street. Um, Because these are often people who come from quite complex, um, Mm -hmm. disrupted backgrounds and their behaviours aren't, you know, ideal. Uh Um, So, yes, it can be quite difficult. Also, land is expensive in Australia, you know. So, you know, you've got to kind of work 
with either charities that have land or local councils that are willing to lease. And councils councils are, but it's it's not easy, if you know what I mean. Like, yeah, yeah. So you just go and get the land and build it. It's, it's often a very long conversation to get that land. Yeah. And to make sure it's also got to be located in the right place, you know, because well, people do come to us and, and offer us land, but it's got to be near a railway station. It's got to be near transport links. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because otherwise, how are you going to get these young people uh, to, to a job or to, uni- or to TAFE or to some kind of education if it's a piece of land that's just really, really far away and yeah. they don't have they don't have um they don't have any transport links. So it needs to be around services essentially in order for it to thrive. Mm-hmm. Okay. I was reading that figures from the 2016 census reports that around a one million homes were left unoccupied across Australia. Homes sitting empty while homeless populations grow rapidly. Um how would you sort of voice your opinion on that? Yeah, look, I understand when people look at that and they see the um, uh, the disparity, if you like. How can you have a million homes empty and yet overall the figures for homelessness are 116,000 every night are considered homeless in Australia? Mm. Um, the problem is, is that there's no quick fix. So first of all, a lot of those homes aren't in the right place, you know. Mm-hmm. So you can't just, you know, you've got youth, you've got homeless people over here and you've got houses over there. Yeah. You know, it's not it's not that it's not that simple to just yeah. Yeah. just put them in there and that's mm. fine. Um, it, you know homelessness youth homelessness is linked to poverty and mm-hmm. you know alcohol and drugs and and so these people you know it's often people with quite complex problems so again you need to be if you're going to put them in a home you've got to be able to make sure you can put the support services in around them so again yeah. i understand i understand the the feeling that people have when they see empty homes and they see homeless mm. people, but there's not actually a direct line between the two. Mm-hmm. Where the line is for Australia and for most other developed nations is that mm-hmm. we simply have not invested in enough low-cost social housing. Yeah. yeah, And those one million homes, they don't make the difference to that because those one million homes that are empty are generally private homes that are privately privately held. Yeah. It's actually about both government and industry coming to the table and saying we're mm-hmm. going to build low-cost social housing if you're going to do one thing yeah fight youth homelessness or for homelessness mm-hmm. you would increase the level of government-backed low-cost social housing PIF heavily rely on the goodwill of others including partners corporate donors volunteers um, all about fundraising but as a charity in these times it must be particularly tough um with the fundraising events that you guys do with the sailing the cycling events gala dinners and um, your street sleep initiatives and it all relies on networking and bringing people together. And obviously that's not happening at the moment. I'm just interested to see what the plan B is. What have you got up your sleeve and what you're about to what you're about to launch? Oh, plan B. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm going to tell you about plan B. Absolutely. But you are absolutely right. PIF does love networking and it is mm-hmm. built on bringing people together. So the current environment around COVID has made it very difficult for us because it's disrupted all of our events plans. However, you know the saying how you never waste a uh, crisis. Mm-hmm. So like a lot of organisations, we had some things in train that we were planning to roll out maybe over a 12, 18 month period, you know. Yeah. So and a big part of that was our digital platform. Platform. So we had a new marketing manager join us with lots of digital experience. Mm-hmm. We had a new website that we were about to launch in July that we're now going to launch in May. Yep. Um, and we had lots of plans around, you know, exploring digital events that we were thinking of doing later in the year that we're yep. going to be doing really early. So the first thing you'll see from us, so there's a new website coming out next month, um, which will give us a better digital platform. And there's lots of kind of back-end integration and things like that happening with that. Mm-hmm. Then we're going to take one of our most popular events, Tour de Piff, and we're mm-hmm. going to put that online. 
that's exciting for us, to be honest with you. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, you know, it's not what we expected to do, but it's uh-huh. quite exciting and it's quite exciting for the team because we're really yeah. have to sh- having to shift our thinking. And how are you going to do that online? So what, what we think that, uh, so it's like a virtual event effectively. So mm-hmm. in the end, people will come and they will sign up and, and they'll choose their challenge, you know, 100 kilometres, 1,000 kilometres in a month, whatever their challenge is going to be, walking mm-hmm. or cycling or running. Right. Um, and then they'll pair up with a buddy because you can exercise in twos all across the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, every day they'll come back in and they'll log in how many they've done and they'll get their friends, they'll sponsor themselves and they'll get their sort of friends to sponsor them as well. Uh-huh. Um, so we're, we're tapping into the current craze for exercising. I don't know if you've been down to your local park lately. I go down to my local park. It's never been busier with people <laughs> exercising. Yeah. So, you know, people definitely want to be outside. And mm-hmm. fortunately, Australia all year round is blessed with really amazing weather. So even though we're going into winter, we think it, that will work. Um, so look, I think for lots of organizations, it is, it's all around digital effectively at the moment, you mm-hmm. know, like how can you boost your digital presence and what we'll do there. The other really important thing for us at the moment is about stakeholder engagement. And I, I don't think we're any different from any business. It's really about reaching out to all your stakeholders and all your supporters and having a conversation with them that mm-hmm. goes along the lines of, you know, well, first of all, how are you, you know, that kind of, you know, everyone's kind of managing this situation differently. Yeah. Um, and then just talking about, you know, in the end, the purpose of PIF, which is around increasing the level of accommodation for youth homelessness, is not going away. Mm-hmm. It's actually going to be more relevant than ever because what we're hearing, kind of early reports coming out in terms of increasing levels of domestic violence, you know, increasing yeah. levels of youth homelessness, increasing levels of stress in the home because you've been in lockdown, mm-hmm. it's going to see a real increase in youth homelessness and vulnerable young people. So we want to be ready yeah. to come out and start building for them straight away. Of course. Um, and thirdly, just thinking about partnerships. I mean, in the end, PIF's built on partnerships. You know, we partner with all these other industry and you know everyone that's in the industry mm-hmm. our saying is you know we have to stick together even while we have to stay apart yeah i mean basically you kind of touched upon it there with you know everyone's in lockdown i'm just wondering how um you've discovered most about yourself during the situation and if you've got any tips or working from home with a team as well you know yeah look it's been really interesting i think um and one of the things i said to my team straight away when we started was this is not flexible working this is remote working you know mm-hmm. people kind of go oh, i'm used to flexible working i go yeah no i'm used to flexible working too this isn't flexible working mm-hmm. this is enforced remote working it's quite different yeah. um so i think a lot of the challenges and, and again i don't think we're learning this is about communication you mm-hmm. know like it's so it's so intangible um, the com- face-to-face communication and the benefits of it. Like it is, it's really difficult to put your finger on it. It's hard to actually express what, what makes it so good. Yeah. But there is nothing better than face-to-face communication, essentially. Yeah. So everyone being forced into their little boxes on their screen <laughs> or doing phone messages, you know, mm-hmm. there's, there, it makes communication really challenging. And yeah. you know, I come from a communications background, so it's easy for me to say this, but communication underpins absolutely everything. Yeah. So look, that has been really challenging. It's been really challenging for us as a team. Um, I struggled at the beginning to get into a routine. So when the luck don't happen my kids came home kind of overnight you know because it went from they were at school to not at school mm-hmm. and I was in lockdown and you know all our events were cancelled and I really struggled with getting into a routine yeah um but I got into one eventually so I think that routine's important we do a morning huddle for about half an hour oh yeah um and it's interesting you know everyone does some form of huddling as I call it and some people do it once a week every few days I quite like it every morning I find it sort of pins the day for everyone and then things fall down mm-hmm. also keeps lines of communication open transparency and um, things like that mm-hmm. I, again we've done fun things zoom drinks dress up drinks all of those kind of little fun things and you know just making sure people get outside and get some fresh air and some exercise but also I think not to underestimate it I mean one of the things I say to people is you know I consider myself a resilient person but, you know, mm-hmm. it's been interesting how it's impacted on me. I miss human 
call it human spirit. You know, so I miss human spirit. Yeah, yeah. And being on my own a lot makes me question my decisions more than I normally would if I was just in human spirit talking mm-hmm. with people. Yeah. I think in like any kind of period, it's a good period to reflect on what you need in order to function, like mm-hmm. what you need in order to thrive yeah, yeah. so that you can mark it for when you, things get back to the new normal and go, well, it's really important for me to have human spirit around. So, uh-huh. yeah. Awesome. Um, just talking about adapting for the future, what would you like to see PIF achieve for youth homelessness in the future? Are there any sort of new accommodation initiatives being explored? Um, yeah, there's so much actually. Mm-hmm. So, um, so look, our core focus remains on building and increasing the level of transition accommodation. So I would say probably about 80% of our efforts go into that. Mm-hmm. Um, we do have some really big, exciting projects in Pipeline. So we've got a 12-bedroomed project in Brisbane in Pipeline. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got something very exciting happening here in Sydney that unfortunately I can't talk about yet. But um, Watch uh, this space. Watch this space. But that it will be the biggest project we've ever done, looking at 24-bedder in the centre of Sydney, something quite world-class and mm-hmm. something the property industry can really wrap its arms around and say, look what we did. Okay. Um, and then we've got a, a really good pipeline of projects in Melbourne. So that's great. So mm-hmm. that, that remains core. We are really interested in collaboration in this space with both government and other industries. So I mentioned earlier the End Street Sleeps Initiative. So Sydney is a vanguard city in an international group that's looking to break street sleeping. So mm-hmm. we want to be involved in that too. And I think, and I don't, want to, I don't want to be too repetitive, but it is about that early intervention and mm-hmm. things that you can do that bring around systemic change. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm really happy that we build. Mm-hmm. It would be ideal if we didn't have to. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Because essentially you've brought around that systemic change. I, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not sure how possible that is, but uh-huh. I think it's important that we're getting involved in initiatives that are quite innovative, Yeah, um, particularly around data in youth homelessness, like really understanding youth homelessness, understanding where mm-hmm. where 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 it comes from and, you know, using um, data and AI and things like that to, to really better understand it and drive different solutions. So we're mm-hmm. very interested in that as well. Okay. Um, I'm really interested this year as a lot about a good news story. Is there, is there one youth that sort of springs immediately to mind when you think about, you know, who's, who's been really thankful for the support of PIF? And how they've changed their life story. Look, there's lots of good stories, but let me tell you the story of Bethany because it's one of the first stories I heard and I absolutely loved it. So Bethany was this young woman, um, really bright, smart, you know, together. Um, And and her story touched me because I just thought, you know what, that could happen to anyone. So anyway, Bethany's living at home with a mum. They've got a fractious relationship. Mm -hmm. Uh, Bethany's got a part-time job. She's got some savings and she's got a boyfriend. Um, She gets pregnant and, you know, her mum basically says, you're out. Yeah. They go, okay, they go, that's fine um, because uh, Bethany's got her job, her partner's got a job and they've got some savings. So, you know, they get a little flat and they're going to just, you know, hold tight till the baby comes and that's it. Yeah. Uh, Bethany loses her job. Very common when women when they're pregnant to lose their job. So she loses Mm -hmm. her job, but that's okay because I've got some savings and he's got a job. Mm-hmm. Her partner gets ill, starts fitting, he loses his job, okay? Yeah. So now they've just got their savings and they're running through their savings so they can't pay their rent. Yeah? Right. So they can't pay their rent, so they start couch surfing, but they mm-hmm. can't find anyone to take them on for long enough, you know, so they can get three days with her uncle and two days here and three days there and, you know, there is no security. They are essentially homeless, you know, mm-hmm. in a period of six months. Yeah. Two people who've got jobs, you know, just kind of, you know, a series of unfortunate incidents, you know what I mean? They just fall down and fall down and fall down. Mm-hmm. Anyway, what I loved about Bethany's story was she was really resilient. So she's couch surfing, she's pregnant, her partner's ill, can't work. 
And she is on the phone every day to every single agency and every single charity because she's absolutely determined that they're going to be in safe accommodation by the time the baby comes. Mm-hmm. And she calls and she calls and she calls. And um, what she said to me was she said, you know what, there was lots of help, but there was no accommodation, you know, so I could get mm-hmm. a food package, I could get this, I could get counselling. Mm-hmm. But there was no accommodation. Anyway, in the end, um, she called Brisbane Youth Services, which is an organisation that we're building for in Brisbane, and they had some accommodation. So they got us some accommodation. Yeah. And by the time I met uh, Bethany and she was telling me the story, she was in private rental, she'd had the baby, mm-hmm. she was at, you, she was in, in a further education course, you know, and, and, and what she said, and it really touched me, she said she was never more proud mm-hmm. than the first day when she could pay her first rental mm-hmm. check, you know, that she'd managed to get herself to that situation. Yeah. So I think I love that story for so many reasons. One of them is people tend to think of people who, are, you know, come from a vulnerable background as not being tough. And I go, they are tough Aye. and resilient. They have to be, <laughs> you know. And um, they are looking for the hand up, not the hand out. You know what I mean? They need a stable space Mm -hmm. for this period in their life that has knocked them, if you know what I mean. They just need a space. They just need a place that can hold them for a year, you know, to give them the space to kind of go, okay, you know, let me get back on my feet. Yeah. Oh, that's grand. Yeah. I can't begin to imagine the joy young and vulnerable people who find themselves homeless, obviously through no fault of their own, um, but when, when they're supported and have a safe place to live and effectively turn their lives around through the support of PIF, it must be so so satisfying for you guys. Oh, look, the stories we get, you know, particularly of young people who come in and, and you know, the, the homes we build are are lovely. They're really nice. They're really welcoming. And, you know, the young mm-hmm. people come in and they go, oh, my goodness, you know, uh-huh. I, I've, I've never had a bedroom like this, yeah. you know. And I, actually, we get asked by people, they go, oh, do the kids destroy it? And I go, well, to be honest with you, the feedback we get from the charity partners is like, cause such a high standard. The kids are actually like, wow, someone built this for me. I'm going to make sure we really look after it. Mm-hmm. We had a lovely story of this guy, a uh, young refugee guy, tough background, he came to one of our homes and the the we the, the people that run them are always reporting back to us. And he came to one of the homes and he was the first one in and they said, pick your bedroom. And he said, I'll just take this one. And everyone was a bit deflated. They were like, oh, he'd like, you know, look around at it kind of thing. But anyway, mm-hmm. the, the charity was telling me it went on for a few months. And after a few months, someone said to him, they said, um, it's really great how tidy you keep your room, you know, um, mm-hmm. you know, and you keep your bed really tidy and all the rest of it. And he said, oh, I'm not sleeping on the bed because he hadn't slept in a bed. For years. He said, oh. I'm not sleeping on the bed, I'm sleeping on the floor because I'm not used to sleeping in a bed. Um, so, and also it's it's too good for me. So uh-huh. you could, actually you could put someone else in there and they could have it. Isn't so, that amazing how, he's, how he was thinking there? Yeah, It is, yeah. yeah. His mind was working. Wow. It is, yeah. Mm. There, there he was thinking, well, I haven't, he hadn't slept in a bed really ever. He was a refugee. Mm-hmm. And so he wasn't used to sleeping in a bed, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, it's hard. And, then, you know, if you come from a, it's a normal background, if you know what I mean, it's really yeah. difficult to get into the head of, or understand the experience of someone who's had such a totally different experience from most of us mm. and the impact that has on them and the impact it has on their self-worth. You know, he thought he wasn't worthy of the bed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you know, what was beautiful was Charity was able to work with him and, you know, and in the end he slept in that bed. Wow. Mm. So I'm sure there's a lot of people listening in just now um, and, you know, wondering as leaders or, you know, working in the construction industry, how they can play a role I reckon there'll probably be a lot of people who are inspired by what you're saying at the moment and they want to get involved. So how can they do that and you know, what's the next steps? Sure. So give us a call. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> uh, just get in, get in touch with us. Look, the great thing about PIF is there's so many different ways to get involved. So we, we have three uh, lenses to our strategy. 
It's build more, Mm -hmm. raise more and engage more. So we really love engaging with the industry and there's so many different ways to engage with us. So Mm -hmm. you can obviously come on board as a donor. You can come on board as a building partner. Mm -hmm. Uh, You and your team can say, yeah, we want to come down and decorate one of the bedrooms when one of the houses is ready. Um, We've got all these events that we do. You can come along to the events with your team and have a great day out and fundraise for us. Mm -hmm. Or you can also come and volunteer. Mm -hmm. And there's also um, the infrastructure of PIF. So we have lots of different committees that people can get involved in Mm -hmm. and give us their expertise. So just give me a call yep. i can find a role for you in pif awesome that's grand is there a website we want to there is so www.pif.com.au mm-hmm. uh, new website launching just in uh mid-may but go and have a look now brilliant okay okay that's great um so we're going to end the discussion with a little fun um and it's time for the quarantine quiz so i'm sure you've been doing a lot of quizzes and a lot of um you know you've been talking to your friends and whatnot so We've mixed in some general trivia with some random teaser questions to find out a little bit more about you. Keep you on your toes. So are you ready, Kate? I am. Yes, indeed. Let's get started. Let's go. Okay. So let's start with some trivia. So PIF have recently launched a networking from home initiative, Coffee Roulette. But on a roulette wheel, what colour is zero? Uh, I'm really embarrassed when I saw this question because I thought I should know that. Uh, it's green. Green. Correct. Happy days. Okay, okay, so thinking of colours and the colour scheme, um, this one's a bit trickier. What colour is beret worn by members of the Royal Marines? Navy blue? Ooh. What is it? It's green. Green. It's keeping the same theme. It's, oh. it's, it's, you'll notice a little bit of thing happening here. So. Okay. Okay, so we're, we're still thinking of berets. Um, what colour was the beret that the singer Prince sang about? Raspberry. Yes, awesome. So music, so we're running to music now. So let's get, um, when all this goes back to normal, you have to sing karaoke. Which song do you sing? What, out of these ones? Oh, which song do I sing? Yeah, um, what's your karaoke tune? Oh, look, um, I start off like everyone singing the the, the kind of popular ones because you don't want to give away too much of your personality. But I end mm-hmm. up in show tunes. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I end up in show tunes. I end up in musicals. I end up singing Don't Cry For Me, Argentina at two in the morning. Ah, okay. Yeah, I'm not going to do that here. <laughs> Love it. Okay, so finish the lyric. Whoa, we're halfway there. Whoa, living on a prayer. <laughs> Finish the lyric. I think I'm going to be sad. I think it's today, yeah. <laughs> Finish the lyric. Every breath you take. Every breath you take. Every step you take. I'll be watching you. Is yeah, that yeah. Right? yeah, something like that, yeah. Okay, what about sweet dreams are made of this? Who am I? Sweet dreams are made of these. Who am I to disagree? Happy days. Okay. Okay, could ask you questions about music all day because you're obviously a bit of a diva there. Um, Last question on music. Now, this will make you smile. If you were a wrestler, what would be your entrance <laughs> theme song? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, look, it's a bit cheesy, but it'd probably have to be something like Eye of a Tiger or Europe, the yeah. final countdown. Oh, do, yeah. Do, do, do. <laughs> Alrighty. So, which well known holiday did Anna Jarvis introduce in 1907? I have got no idea. I'll give but... you a wee clue. It's coming up pretty soon. Yeah. Um, that still doesn't mean anything to me, actually. Uh, so, I'm going to say is it the Queen's birthday holiday or? No, what is it? Uh, it's Mother's Day. Mother's Day. Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, right, that's terrible. Um, I'm sure you've been texting a lot recently to keep in touch with your colleagues and industry partners. What is your most used emoji? Oh, look, my kids have been on the phone and they've made one of those bitmojis of me, you know, with big red glasses and all the rest of it. Oh, really? And I don't know how to take it off. So everyone everyone gets a message from me, gets this really unprofessional bitmoji. That's brilliant. Um, who was the first man on the moon? Um, I feel like I, it's Neil Armstrong. Yes, that's oh, right. I thought, it was gonna, I thought you were going to trick question. It's nah, Buzz Aldrin. I was like, oh, nah, no. Nah, nah. The opposite of dreams, um, this might be stuff of nightmares, but if aliens landed on Earth tomorrow and offered to take you home with them, would you go? Yes. Ooh. <laughs> what would the title of your autobiography be? Hair today, gone tomorrow. 
Why is that? Because people can't see you. Yeah, because of all my hair. Uh, <laughs> um, which book are you reading at the moment? And um, would you recommend uh, that to So I'm reading The Mirror and the Light by Hilary Mantel. Um, mm-hmm. And I absolutely loved Wolf Hall. So yeah, I totally recommend it. Um, which animal is the fastest? A hare, a greyhound or a horse? A hare? Yes, correct. Um, the Piff Regatta has been postponed this year, but let's imagine you're going to sail around the world. What's the name of your yacht? Endless Days. Mm-hmm. As a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? Uh, actress. Finish this quote from Muhammad Ali. Float like a butterfly, sting like a... Bee. And how do bees communicate? I have got no idea. They dance, apparently. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Who knew, eh? I did not know that. <laughs> if you were a time machine, would you go back in time or in the future? Oh, that is so difficult. Um, I'd probably go back in time to 1920s Paris. All right. Why? Yeah. Have you seen that film, uh, Midnight in Paris? Uh, it's a Woody Allen film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I love that. That was beautiful. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Um, have you ever completed anything on your bucket list? Uh, yes, I did. So last year I swam from Spain to France. I swam across the border and I always wanted to swim from one country to another. How far is that? Just well, it wasn't very far because you just stand on one side of the border and swim. So it was about a four kilometre swim. But, still, it was, but it was a decent, big, it yeah. was a big swim. Yeah, wow. it was a big swim. It was quite okay. scary. Yeah. Did you have to do lots of training for that? Or? I did huge amounts of training for yeah. it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Beautiful. Um, talking about buckets, um, you need a lot, lot of buckets to empty this. What is the longest river in the world? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> is it the one in the Amazon? No, I don't know. It's the Nile. Yeah. No, the Nile. Yeah. And finally, um, when I first met you, um, you, you showed me this. So what's your best scar story? Because oh, I know there's a story there. My best scar story. So... Uh, this has been a very interesting year. So I, I started this year by I started this year by getting, trying to get super fit, and mm-hmm. I was doing Pilates three days a week. And I ride an electric bike, but I'd moved from the electric bike to my to the proper bike because I was going to get super fit. Yeah. And then I fell down the stairs in the house, and I only fell down three stairs actually, mm-hmm. and I ruptured my patella tendon, which is not a part of my body I knew about. But yeah. like I say to people, it turns out every part of your body is equally needed. Uh-huh. Um, and so I had to have a uh, knee injury, and I've got a massive scar all the way up my knee. Um, which I'm hoping will fade. Wow. Mm. <laughs> That's fantastic. The random light of the light was flashing madly, madly there, and I hope you found that quick-fire quarantine question round and the whole session um, a lot of fun. Kate. I really did. Thank you very yeah. much. I really appreciate your time. Alrighty. So thanks very, so much for agreeing to take time out of your busy schedule. It's been a real pleasure talking with you and discovering more about the important role um, that you play with the Property Industry Foundation and how it brings everyone, no matter um, who they are, to get involved and make a difference. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Talking Buildings, a Sipsy Australia and New Zealand production. You can download previous episodes or subscribe to future ones by searching Sipsy Talking Buildings. That's C-I-B-S-E on your favourite podcast app.